This is exactly right. Welcome to my favorite murder, the mini sode. That's right. It's the mini sode. This is your sode. <laughs> You're a real big part of it. You're, Do you want to go first? Sure. On this one? Cookie's staring at me, really like concerned looking, and I, I don't know what's wrong with her. What's her? Ask her what her concern is. I, she always looks concerned. She's got those eyebrows. <laughs> okay, how not to hire a hitman. It just starts, good morning, good morning, good morning. (laughs) There's a fun, quirky little Pinterest saying that goes something like, insanity does not run in the family. Rather, it strolls through, taking its time, getting to know everyone personally. (laughs) When I tell you that this describes my family perfectly, I am not kidding. From the time my grandfather's mother-in-law and ex-wife were murdered three days after their divorce, then it says he didn't do it, to the time my grandma ghosted the heir to a mafia family after he proposed to her, probably for the best, I tend to have excellent stories to tell at parties. But my favorite story to share is about my great aunt Janet. Everyone always says that Janet used to be popular, beautiful, and smart, but for reasons that no one ever seemed to want to tell me, but which will shortly become obvious, she had been cut off from most of the family since before I was born. As I got older and my family got a little looser with our uh, sordid family history, things started to make a bit more sense. To make a long and painful story short, Janet went fully off the deep end to the point that though we can't prove it, my family is fully convinced that she killed her own mother, my grandma. Everyone in my family disowned her. Because she's the unpleasant kind of crazy, Janet's husband promptly divorced her ass after my great-grandmother's death. Janet was less than pleased with this. Obviously, there's only one thing left for her to do. So she packed up her things, moved to a new apartment building, and hired her janitor to kill her ex-husband. Oh. Not an expert killer, literally just the guy from her building meant to fix the plumbing and occasionally repaint shit. I guess his maintenance job didn't pay very well because he agreed. Janet gave the guy explicit instructions to make sure it looked like an accident, so that she could collect the $4 million life insurance policy that she had on her ex-husband. That doesn't seem right. That it's so much money? Yeah. Red flag. Yeah. I mean. The janitor kept the money that she gave him, but thankfully never actually hired anyone. Maybe the landlord gave him a raise, or maybe his conscious intervened, since he ended up going to the police and agreeing to appear as a witness on her trial. And that's where the story should end. However, while awaiting trial, Janet approached a fellow inmate, and because she is apparently a one-trick pony, tried to hire them to kill the janitor who was testifying. Oh, no, no. You know, because hiring a hitman worked out so well the first time. The fellow inmate was apparently due to be released before Janet's trial, and she offered them an insane amount of money to kill the janitor as well as her ex-husband's new wife. The inmate reported all of this in order to get time off of their own sentence. Since that didn't work out for Janet, she decided to try something exciting and new and different. She approached another inmate and tried (laughs) to hire them to do the same thing. This time targeting both of her attempted hires, her ex, and her ex's wife. That's right. The list just keeps going. (laughs) Because apparently, even in contract killing, the third time's the charm. 
Thankfully, they reported her to the guards again, and Janet was successfully charged with two counts of first-degree felony criminal solicitation, and one of her attorneys was even allegedly disbarred. Oh. Over the course of the case, she attempted to hire three different hitmen to kill over four people before being sentenced to life. As far as I'm aware, she's finally left her hitmen hiring ways behind her, but I'm going to keep an eye out anyways. Stay sexy and don't hire hitman Liza. Liza, that's heavy. It's heavy shit. Yeah. But it also reminds me of like my tendency where I'm just like, I'm really stressed and tired, so I'm going to eat macaroni and cheese. I know it's not going to work, but I'm going to do it anyway. It works like, a little bit. We, <laughs> it works for, you know, for the first 15 minutes. But it's that same thing where you're just like, oh my God, I fucked everything up. Hit me. Let me hire a hitman. Like, that's not the solution to anything. No, and it's just so crazy to me that people, when people are like, my family's so crazy. And then you just pull out, that's your aunt and that's their story. Like, okay, you win. My family's yeah. not that crazy. That's right. My family just like really likes cats. It's not, we, we don't try to get people killed. I mean, it's context. It's context. Yeah. Okay. Couldn't pass by, this one is also a little bit long, but I couldn't pass by this okay. headline from your Japanese murderino, Ooh. which I love how that's phrased. Like there's just the one. Love it. Love her. I was recruited by the Om Shinrikyo cult. <gasps> right? And it starts, Kanichiwa, Georgia and Karen. I really enjoy your podcast from Japan and have learned a lot about American true crime and culture. Oh, no. Wow. Oh, no. Teaching people. <laughs> Through this show. <laughs> Oops. We are very cultured. We are. <laughs> mm-hmm. I particularly liked the recent episode about Om Shinrikyo. I was impressed that you covered a lot of details that even Japanese people might not know. <gasps> oh, Karen. Well, that's Marin. Marin McClashen oh. <laughs> is my is the researcher. I can't take credit because she did an unbelievable job reporting that. I want to take credit. Do but it. I won't. Do it. <laughs> when the terrorist attack occurred in 1995, I was still a university student. Actually, I worked part time a few days a week at one of the affected train stations. Wow. Wow. I could have been there, but I was just lucky to have the day off. I still remember that I felt scared to death to hear the news. Little did I know I had met one of the cult members a couple years before. In 1993, I left my hometown in southern Japan and started living alone for the first time in my life. I was 18 years old. One day I saw a poster about a curry party at the university hosted by a cooking club. I liked Indian food, so I went to that party with friends. It was fun, but we never went back because the boys really weren't that cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. At that party, I met a boy who seemed to be relatively okay. He asked me out, saying he wanted to take me to a special French restaurant. In my innocence, I was lured by the idea of having a fancy dinner. Of course you were. Sure. But when we arrived at the quote-unquote restaurant, I felt something was off. It was obviously an apartment where someone lived, not a restaurant. That's horrifying. Uh Uh-huh. So scary. I also remember a purely white weird door with a gold sun ornament which stood out from the surroundings. Soon a man who was probably the restaurant owner slash cook started bringing French food. The boys seemed to know the guy, which made me feel more insecure, but I stayed anyway. And then in parentheses it says, I honestly don't know what I was thinking. You were 18. That's what you were thinking. (laughs) You were 18. Someone was like, hey, I'd like to take you out on a proper date. Yeah. And you were like, I will believe in love. Yeah. You're not going to get up and walk out like you would now. No. 
Okay, so I barely remember what we talked about during dinner. One thing I do remember is that when he found out my grandpa had cancer, he said something like, quote, he must have spent his money for the wrong purposes and he must give up his greed to recover, end oh, quote. Okay. I thought it was none of his business and how you spend money had nothing to do with getting sick. This and that weird setting finally turned me off. I said I wanted to go home because I didn't feel well. They tried to hold me up saying, you can lie on the couch for a while. Mm. But I made it clear that I wanted to go home and that I and I headed to the front door. The boy insisted he drive me home. I said it wasn't necessary. But again, I somehow accepted his offer because I didn't know how to fuck politeness yet. <laughs> Aww. Luckily, he safely drove me home. He said something about our destiny when I left the car. I said, yeah, I'll get in touch with you. But I never called him back. Yeah. Sometime after the subway attack, I was absentmindedly watching TV. The media was again covering Om Shinrikyo and how the cult was eagerly recruiting university students. The anchor started listing clubs they were using as covers. When I heard one name, I couldn't believe my ears. It was the club that organized the curry party. When I turned to the TV, I saw the white door of that weird French restaurant. That's my story with Om Shinrikyo. I guess I failed their test. And then there's a little smiley face <laughs> with colon in parentheses. But thinking how close I was to the cult still creeps me out. Thank you for reading until the end. I also thank Emily, who is another murderino who introduced me to this fantastic podcast. She also helped me write this email. Aww. I'll always continue to listen to you guys from Japan. So please stay sexy and don't get murdered. And there's no name. Oh, oh wait, did, did they say their name at the beginning? No, there's no name. Aw. Oh my God, we have a Japanese listener. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. To the, to the one murderino in Japan. I Emily, love it. thank you for helping our one murderino in Japan yeah. write this email. It's so legendary. We're thrilled to get it. That's wild. That is so wild. Crazy. Crazy. A, that is a near miss. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. 
June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the Detective Club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Okay, my next one is a spooky season hometown. Why are kids so creepy? Grab your cozy blankets, trusty flashlights, and gather around, murderinos. It's creepy kid story time. My little sister recently bought a very lovely, very big, very old home with her husband on the North Shore of Chicago. This home was originally built in 1900. For American standards, this is pretty old. We will refer to this sister as Auntie J. Being a very nice aunt and wanting to show off her beautiful new home, Auntie J hosted our other sister and three nephews overnight. As they tell it, the night went great. They played flashlight tag with the full run of this four-story home, watched a movie, and ate junk food. As the fun came to a close, Auntie Candy and the three boys settled into the two bedrooms in the older portion of the house. Everyone fell peacefully asleep after Auntie Candy yelled multiple times across the hall, boys, go to bed, no more talking. (laughs) Then 3 a.m. rolled around. Auntie Candy woke up to the sound of whimpering from across the hall in the boys' room. She quietly crept into the boys' room, and with the light from the hallway, she saw one of the boys, Griffin, five years old, sitting up in bed. Griffin was crying quietly and looking into the dark part of the room. Auntie Candy knelt next to Griffin and softly asked him if he had a nightmare and if he would like her to lay with him. Griffin pointed into the darkness and said, the little boy, he won't leave me alone. He keeps telling me to get out of his room. Mm. Auntie Candy's head whipped around to see nothing but a darkened room and a closed closet door. So like the great big sister slash mommy slash auntie she is, Candy hugged Griffin and soothed him back to a calm state while internally screaming, what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck? (laughs) Auntie Candy laid with Griffin for the rest of the night with her eyes wide open, scanning the room, internally freaking out, and cursing Auntie Jay and her haunted house. The next morning, Auntie Candy gave Auntie Jay the haunted play-by-play through tired and scared whispers. Auntie Jay's response was, oh yeah, so the dog has been growling at empty rooms since we moved in. I found out that the family who last lived here had a little boy who died of cancer, so I bet that's who Griffin saw. Auntie Candy responded, so Griffin sees dead people. And then it says, cue Haley Joe Osment's screen grab from that movie. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, well. <laughs> Poor creepy Griffin and being able to see dead people. Poor little boy who passed away and can't move on. Poor Auntie Candy who needed someone to hold her that night. Sometimes grown-ass adults need hugs and reassurances that it's just your imagination. Happy spooky season. Stay sexy and tell people spending the night if your house is haunted. Love, Auntie M. Yeah. Auntie M, you're 100% right. That's That disclosure should be required. Yeah. How fucking scary. Wait, 
Why can't I think? It's The Sixth Sense yes. is the name of that yeah. movie. Oh, that was driving me insane. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but that is so intense. Oh, you don't want to hear little kids whispering about like, that little boy over there won't leave me alone. And also every time you hear those stories, you know it's because a child died. Yeah. It's like that reverberating sadness through the years. It's totally. so sad. Totally. Now we get to change gears because okay. this is very different. Hello, gals. Love your podcast. This is not a murder, but it is a hilarious story. I live in Australia. My grandparents lived in a super sketchy area, which was nice when they moved there in 1960, but it became very sketchy as time passed. One day, my grandparents, in their 80s, went to drop off some garden clippings at the local dump. On the other side of this 10-foot wire fence next to the dump, they spied some lovely bushy plants and thought, how lovely, who would throw away all these beautiful plants? What a waste. So loving a bargain, my grandparents drove into the compound, backed up their little Toyota Corolla, and filled their car boot and back seat with the plants. When they got home, they proceeded to plant the bushes along their front fence, congratulating themselves on getting such a bargain. The next day, their neighbor, who is a police officer, was walking his dog, mm -hmm. and couldn't believe his eyes when he spied the row of huge, bushy marijuana plants <gasps> along the front fence of my grandparents' <laughs> home. He knocked on the door and asked my grandmother where she got the plants. After hearing the story, he told Nana that the plants were marijuana plants, which are illegal in Australia. Hilariously, my octogenarian grandparents had just waltzed into a police evidence compound loaded their car with illegal <laughs> drugs seized from a police raid and innocently planted them along their front fence. Aww. Given the area they live in, I was impressed that the pot plants were still there after one night. The police drug squad had to come to my grandparents' house to dig up all the stolen oh, evidence. Oh, my God. <laughs> very embarrassed that they had been hoodwinked by a couple of very elderly thieves. We've never let them live it down, and it's still hilarious to this day. My grandparents are now both gone, with my Nana passing just last December at the age of 96. R.I.P. Nana, you are a boss. Aww. And there's no name signed to that. Aww. That's the best. Hilarious. That is a beautiful, beautiful story. I bet they look, look gorgeous. I bet they, they look just, big and hedgy. Right? And, yeah. Like, yeah, almost like who would this? These are like hedges waiting to hedge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and plants like that are fucking are expensive. Like, not weed, but like beautiful hedge plants. That's hilarious. Yeah. I love that. I have a grandma story too, my last one. Perfect. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash 
slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Grandma Wyona. It's W-Y-O-N-A. That's Wyona, right? Mm-hmm. I'd say so. Hey, MFM crew, longtime listener, first-time writer, etc. I'm a location scout and spend a lot of time driving around and going up to strangers' homes to ask if they want their house in a movie <laughs> while having pepper spray on hand. And you two have kept me entertained and prepared for a long time. So thank you for that. I'm writing to tell you a quick snippet of my grandma's life that she shared with me over the years over cups of tea and her chocolate chip cookies. My grandma's name is Wyona Violet. And then I says, I think that's I think this will rank pretty high with the cool grandma names. And she was born in 1924 and grew up in rural Canada. She was the fourth of 13 children and would be pissed off every time she saw her mom wear a white apron signaling she was pregnant again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck. There's that apron. God damn it. And she got pissed off nine times. Yeah, that's a lot. Wow. Because there were 13 kids and they were in rural Canada, the older children had to take care of the younger children. My grandma told me about one day that stuck out in particular. She was probably between 10 and 12 and was in charge of looking after one of her baby sisters with another one of her sisters. She didn't give me many details about how, but they somehow lost the baby. <laughs> They looked around for her to no avail. The baby oh. was old enough to crawl okay, and walk. I, I thought you meant lost the baby. Like, oh, no. You, you said lost the baby. <laughs> and with a little <laughs> laugh, I'm like, what the fuck? No, no, they were babysitting and they lost the baby. Sorry, got it. The baby was old enough to crawl and walk away. So maybe she was a toddler. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, hours later, their dad arrived home with the lost baby. <laughs> It turns out while he was riding his horse home from work, he came across a train stopped on the tracks. He went to investigate the scene and saw that his baby daughter was sitting on the tracks. No. Luckily for everyone involved, and especially my grandma, the train conductor spotted the baby crawling on the tracks and stopped the train in time. And of all the times my great-grandfather would be passing by on his route home, he got to see that it was his own daughter on the tracks. Shit. My grandma was obviously not put in charge of babysitting for a while after that. <laughs> anyway, while listening to you guys for years, I realized that my grandma was the first murderino I knew. She lived alone for almost 25 years after my grandpa died and would watch Dateline and murder mysteries every night before bed. Yeah. She had some very hard times in her life and was an amazing, strong, sassy, loving woman through it all. My dad's parents passed away long before my brothers and I were born, and my mom's dad passed when we were very young, so Wyona was our only grandparent for most of our lives. My grandma passed away in 2018, and I think about her all the time. I'm glad to share my love of true crime with her, and thank you again for being a comfort to listen to, just like my grandma was comforted to 48 hours before bed. <laughs> <laughs> Except I'm definitely not as brave to listen right before bed. Love, Christina. Christina, congratulations on Wyona Violet. Wyona Violet. One of the worst babysitters by best grandmothers <laughs> there has ever been. Oh, wandered onto the train tracks. It's such an old-fashioned story of like the dad's coming home on a horse. Yes. <laughs> she's on the train tracks. Yeah, and like a, a child is watching a baby. <laughs> and loses track of the baby. The father doesn't get arrested when he walks up is like, oh, it's right. my baby. All right. good. It's fine. You know me. <sighs> yeah. 
Okay, here's my last one. Okay. And it's an 1880s trash dad story. Great. It starts, hello. Here's a fun trash dad story as requested. It was 1988 Salt Lake City. I was 13. My mom and dad took me and a friend with them to see Aerosmith. Oh. Sorry. I don't know why I think that's so funny. Just your parents were like, come on, let's go see Aerosmith together. (laughs) Love in an elevator, everybody. Me and a friend to see with them to see Aerosmith, who had just had a big comeback with the permanent vacation album. My parents went down to the floor and told us to go up into the stands to watch. That way we could see better. Remember the 80s when your boomer parents would just tell you where and when to meet them later <laughs> so that they could party on their own with their friends? Yeah. No, just me. <laughs> Uh, Before the concert even started, there was a commotion down on the floor. The house lights were still on and everyone in the Salt Palace, and I really do mean everyone, could see a fight. It was very exciting and everyone was yelling and cheering. Then I actually paid attention. It was my dad (gasps) fighting with some rando. (laughs) No. (laughs) You see, back then... My dad, Lonzo, rocked a mohawk, which was extremely rare for Salt Lake City in the late 80s. It probably still is. So I could spot my dad in any crowd. Without even thinking, I just yelled, that's my dad. (laughs) (laughs) That's so badass. I don't know why your dad of the mohawk is the coolest thing I've ever heard. It's really great. Everyone should see SLC Punk if they haven't seen it. It's such a good, funny amazing movie that is kind of about this. Yeah. Perhaps about this man specifically. So they yell, that's my dad. And the people around me asked which one, the guy winning or losing, to which I proudly replied, the one winning with the mohawk. Yeah. (laughs) It gets better. And then it says in parentheses, worse. My dad had just been to a Utah jazz game. That is basketball, my dear non-sport fan friends. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much. Um, a few days before, and he'd gotten into a fight that night too. So when security brought them back at the concert, the head security guy looked at my dad and laughed and said, you again? Oh, no. <laughs> I honestly don't know how he did it. Trash dad magic, I guess. But he didn't get kicked out of the game or the concert. <laughs> security sent him back and told him to avoid the other guy the rest of the night. Looking back, this seems so bizarre, and I have dozens of crazy Lonzo stories. He is truly one of a kind. I really wish I had a picture to share. Sorry. I've literally never thought about this before. I wonder who drove us home that night. Yikes. And then it just says, have a good one, Tina from Minnesota. (laughs) A dad getting into a fist fight story. Like the thought of my dad, Marty, getting into a fist fight is so impossible that to picture someone else's dad is kind of amazing with a mohawk. Tell us your stories about your trash dad at my favorite writer at Gmail. And thanks for writing in, everyone. Yeah, thanks for being a part of this mini-sode and this community. Yeah. And stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Elvis, do you want a cookie? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our senior producer is Hannah Kyle Crichton. Our producer is Alejandro Keck. This episode was engineered and mixed by Stephen Ray Morris. Our researchers are Marin McClashen and Gemma Harris. Email your hometowns and fucking hoorays to myfavoritemurder at gmail.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at myfavoritemurder and Twitter at myfavemurder. Goodbye. Goodbye. 
Follow My Favorite Murder on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase My Favorite Murder merch.